Hello and welcome to another edition of the Paddock Pass podcast. With me today is Neil Morrison from Crash.net and Road Racing World. And my name is David Emmett and we are recording this shortly after Aragon. Looking forward to Mategi. Um, obviously, Mategi, we could see one or both championships wrapped up this uh, this weekend. Exactly. It's more than likely that Johan Zarco will become the Moto2 world champion. Uh, Danny Kemp will need several things to go in his favour to wrap it up at Mategi. Uh, but with um, with the events of, of Aragon, we can, I'd say, he's got uh, several fingers of one hand on, on the trophy. Yeah, but but not the complete hand because you know fifty five points he uh, he's leading by going into the uh, going into the weekend. So basically, he needs to gain twenty points on Anea Bastianini, and he threw the uh, he threw his chance away to get those twenty points when he crashed out at Aragon. Yeah, exactly. Uh, in what has been such a, a mature and well thought out uh, season, um, I think it was the one time this year that we could we could see Danny you know kind of being overrun by emotion a little bit and it was uh yeah it was strange to see him uh, to see him do what he did at the, at the final corner of because he'd before that he'd actually had a fantastic race he'd actually rode really well he'd uh, concentrated he'd not got caught up which he'd done in, in the last few races where he'd been hanging on the back of a group and ended up finishing seventh or eighth uh because he got caught behind on the wrong side of a break and either had to try and ride his way forward or uh, or, or, or just you know missed it altogether. Yeah. Um, he was there, he was aggressive, he came forward at the right time and uh, he could have taken advantage of um, uh, Bastianini taking himself out basically by crashing into Brad Binder's back wheel. Um, but he looked over to see where... Uh, Jorge Navarro was. Yeah, exactly. He looked over to see where Jorge Navarro was in that last final corner, which is spent right on the very edge of the tyre. So the, the, the tiniest movement of a motor, uh, 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 on the motorcycle will totally unsettle you, and then that's it. Yeah, from what we could see in the race, it just seemed that Danny was absolutely determined not to finish behind Bastianini in that race. Anytime Bastianini was ahead, um, Danny was fantastic into the first corner, into the kind of corkscrew downhill, yep. flip flop kind of change of direction. And I think there was maybe two occasions at least where we saw him putting tough moves on Bastianini. And to the Italian's credit, he didn't get flustered and you know was on course to, to get a podium at least. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, Bastianini was doing. Whatever he could to 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 stay ahead of uh, um, of Danny, but he needed to win, and that was going to be that was going to be really tough. Yeah, and it was just a one like you know it was uh, obviously it wasn't good to see the guys crash out at the end, but it was just such a typical uh, Moto Three encounter where in thirty seconds you had you know going into that bus stop, Shakir and Bastianini was looking like he could get second at least, maybe even win. Navarro passed Kent, and you just thought oh, this is a nightmare for Kent. Then you know. Ten seconds later, Bastianini falls. You think, okay, Ken's you know got this wrapped up. He's he's pretty much got the the one hand in the title. And then you know, ten seconds, fifteen seconds later, yeah, it all changes again. You know, and it's just the the kind of the, the myriad, roller coaster, the myriad of emotions that Moto Three kind of brings. Yeah, yes, yeah, absolutely, because they can pass each other in the space of uh, well, sort of in the space of a couple of hundred meters, they can pass each other about six times. So uh, uh, I sometimes try and keep a lap count of who's leading, who's leading where in Moto Three races. But usually, you end up about halfway through the race thinking no there's not a lot of point there's a group and they're all fighting for the lead and yeah. and some of them have led yeah exactly yeah, yeah. Uh, and Mategi what do you think is it going to be another uh, one of these multi-group battles with that big long straight I'd say so I would say when you look at the last few years um, since Moto3 has become a four-stroke class 
it's usually produced very very close racing um on paper it should really favor the ktm bike which is more of a, a sort of pointed and squirt uh brake deep and, and kind of getting the throttle early um sort of bike obviously they've introduced the new chassis uh the 2016 chassis at uh, Mizano, and that has kind of helped with some of the the, the 2015 version's flaws um it's also a really strong circuit for Kent. I think he yeah. was on course to finish Napoleon there last year. He won his first motor, his first Grand Prix there in 2012. Much to the chagrin of um, of uh, Sandro Cortese, if I remember correctly. Needless chagrin, yeah, you could say. Because yes. <laughs> Kent won that race fair and square. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I can imagine it being a bit of a another royal scrap. And, you know, Danny, to his credit, uh, after the race, the Moto3 race at Aragon, you know, he was, he was fine. He wasn't, uh, he didn't look aggrieved. He didn't look pissed off. He looked... Yeah, he was like, okay, cool. You know, I've still got a 55-point lead. Yeah. And, um, you know, he's going into to two tracks of the final four, which he has won at before. So great format before. I think he'll be I think he'll be okay. Yeah, 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 exactly. But uh, uh, his original plan was to wrap it up in, uh, at Honda, for, uh, at Mategi, mm. in front of Honda's bosses. That's probably not going to happen now. But uh, Yeah. yeah also, it's, it's worth pointing out that, you know, the last few races we've kind of been saying, you know, Bastianini, to his credit, had been consistently applying pressure to Kent had been looking really great on his first race in, Ari- in Mizano sorry was did so fantastically well really mature that was just a bit of a, a 17 year old move that he put in Brad Binder I think in the final lap that yeah was, yeah yeah but I mean he is 17 so he gets to uh, we give him a break I mean it's clear that he's going to be an absolutely he's going to be a great rider in the future because he does have a lot more maturity than uh, than, than some of the other, some of the others. I mean, Romano Ferrati, we all thought he was going to be phenomenal, mm. and he is phenomenal on his, uh, day. on his day. But his day isn't every weekend, and Bastianini has just been really, really. He's been fast every weekend. Yeah, exactly. Which seeks nicely into uh, our, our thoughts on on next year, uh, because well, both Kent and Bastianini, um, their 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 futures have been the subject of some some discussion for quite some time. Kent obviously announced that he's going to be moving up to Moto Two rather than Moto GP. Uh, that was announced on the Sunday at Aragon, and we've heard some things which I think will be confirmed by the time uh, this podcast comes out but we've heard that uh, yeah we're expecting an announcement on thursday which is after we're recording this but um uh, it sounds like enea bastanini will be racing for the um, estrella galicia team next year um alongside jorge navarro um to replace fabio quattararo who is actually going to danny's old team uh key for racing or leopard racing or whatever mm. uh, whatever you want to call it but um uh yeah it's all it's all moving about there that's a superstar lineup in the in the monlau setup um and you kind of think what must jorge navarro be thinking um this year fabio quattararo leaves yeah, and exactly. uh, anaya bastianini comes yeah, in it's kind of like you know pedroza like seeing the, the back of stoner and thinking oh god and then you know mark marquez coming in yeah. <laughs> you've got two two very very talented riders either side but uh navarro to his credit he's coped all right with it this year i think yeah and navarro i mean yes navarro had a decent race at aragon and he's he's i mean he's been very very strong all week all, all year so i think he's definitely going to be um uh, I think he'll take it in his stride and he's going to be competitive. You have to say that um, there has to be a very, very good chance of um, the 2016 Moto3 champion um, coming from that garage. Absolutely, yeah. Or the Leopard garage. Um, well, the, this is it. There's a lot of talk about Quattararo and Quattararo. Quattararo is clearly a fantastic talent, but he hasn't performed the way, certainly not the way I expected. And I, I, I suspect also not the way that he expected. Mm, yeah. I think he came into this championship thinking, you know, 
it would take him a few races, but he'd get it under control and um, uh, and he'd have a shot at the title in his first year. And, and it really hasn't turned out that way. Yeah, I think uh, his progression this year has been similar to what you used to see when riders would join the old 500 class. Blazing fast for the first three or four rounds, maybe, you know, a podium here and there. And then, you know, one, two crashes um, kind of mount up. You lose a little bit of that confidence, uh, consistency drops away a little bit and uh, he's been befallen by some bad luck as well you know the the the, the crash at Mizano which broke his ankle was a freak instance yeah um Darren Binder ran over his ankle so and you know coming to Aragon he was just sensational at Aragon I think you know in the in the CEV championship um the previous two years that he had raced there last year in particular I think maybe not in 2013 but last year um that was one of the five tracks I think he'd raced at before he started the season uh, that are on the calendar, so that would have been a good, you know, a, a good chance for him to, you know, get his get his confidence back and produce a good result. Um, I still think Quadra has had a good season. I think you know he's been in the podium several times. He's been within a whisker of winning races on several occasions. He nearly Absolutely. he nearly bloody won the first race at Qatar. Yeah. Um, I think he'll be a, a very strong for a rookie. He's had an absolutely fantastic season. But the yeah, I guess I've been guilty of, of of this myself. But yeah, the hype that kind of surrounded him coming into the season, sure that that maybe suggests that uh, he should have had a better year. Yeah, yeah. Well, the the hype is always can uh, contagious. Mm. One of the interesting developments is with uh, Quattararo going to uh, going to Kiefer. It sounds like Kiefer are uh, looking at a switch to KTM for next year. Mm, exactly. Yeah, he'll be joined there by Andrea Locatelli, who's leaving the Grassini setup, and also Juan Mir, who yeah. is. Kiefer's rider in the Junior World Championship. Yeah, and Mir's had a, an excellent year in, in, in the CEV as well, hasn't he? A little inconsistent, fast, definitely fast. A little inconsistent. I think he's thrown it down the road in a few occasions and he's currently second or third, I think, in that, in that series. But uh, yeah, he's, he's an exciting prospect, no doubt. Um, fantastic uh, supermotard rider. I don't know if you've seen his uh, Twitter account, but uh, some of the photos that he posts show that he has some real natural talent um, on a motorcycle. But yeah, that, that should be interesting. Is this... Is this solely done to money? Uh, Kiefer potentially moving to KTM? Is this about money? I think it's a little bit more complicated than this. I think Quattararo leaving the Monlau uh, structure, I mean, you know, that structure has been put together to provide a path from uh, almost from pre-GP in Spain through the Spanish Championship to Moto3, Moto2 and MotoGP. I think uh, Quattararo leaving that structure um, is not something which Honda is going to take particularly well. Um, I think also there have been some sort of whisperings about the strange decisions being made by Quattararo's manager. Um, so yeah, this may also be, and certainly KTM would love to get their hands on Quattararo. Obviously he's a talent, he's a rider who can win a championship for them. Uh, some of their other riders, I mean, you know, Fanati is really fast sometimes and really and sometimes not fast. It's not a guarantee of it, the championship, is it? No, exactly. Brad Binder has uh, made an improvement, but um, he has been burning his tyres up too early in the race and, uh, you know, fast at the, fast at the beginning and not. Um, uh, not fast later on, did the absolute absolute opposite and, and, and was doing running really well. Miguel Oliveira has shown that he's doing well, but he's also moving up to Moto2. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's, yeah, that, that's just really, really, um, that's really difficult. Yeah. So that leaves, uh, that will leave Grissini without any Moto3 riders, which means that he may not be running a Moto3 team next year. Yeah, it looks like Grissini's out. Yeah. And that would therefore reduce 
quite substantially the number of Hondas uh, that will be on the grid next year. Racing Team Germany are s- currently, I think, unsure of uh, of their 2016 plans. So there's another two Hondas that are on the grid that might not be there next year. We're not sure. Still, nothing has been confirmed. Um, speaking to speaking to John McPhee yesterday on. Uh, well, on Sunday after the Aragon race, uh, it'd been a difficult race for him. Um, but he was telling us that he is in talks with, well, he's said he's got several options on the table in Moto3. Uh, I think Honda, he expects to be in a Honda next year. thinks that's looking likely. Um, so that could maybe be, just looking at the at the current setup, that could be him teaming up with uh, Nico Antonelli in the Young Kenda squad. But again, that's just, uh, that's me speculating yeah yeah, yeah yeah yes yeah yeah i mean i don't i think a lot of the motor three greed is not going to get settled until or at least the shall we say the the, the um uh, below the top teams that's not going to get settled until perhaps even as late as valencia with uh, i remember being at one valencia test and seeing lots of motor two riders still wandering around looking for a ride for next year so uh, <laughs> that's the, the that's the way that plays out mm. um turning to motor gp um the rumors which are going around there it looks like uh aspar will be leaving honda mm-hmm. dropping honda and moving to ducati for next year uh we spoke to chabasi paolo chabasi and he was pretty much uh, uh, he was talking openly about um being in uh, being in discussions with um uh, aspar uh giving them a gp 14.2 for 2016 yeah or two rather two gp 14.2 was uh, circulating that Aspar was going to uh, drop to just a one-bike team with uh, Ducati, with Yoni Hernandez. Obviously, he was expected to go to Invidia. Loris Baz has now been uh, confirmed there. Um, Eugene Laverty was sweating about this. Understandably, he has a two-year contract. Um, but from what we gather, I think he is safe in that squad, albeit on a Ducati rather than a Honda. Laverty is always he's always had a close a close relationship with uh, with Gigi Dalinia um, uh, from his time riding for Aprilia in World Supers. As is Aspar. Uh, yeah, mm-hmm. as does Aspar. So um, yeah, I think there's a, there, there, there there's a good history there. There's a strong history there. Um, we spoke to Gino Borsoi and he was said that the main concern is sponsorship. He seems he seemed confident that uh, uh, that there would be the sponsors there to cover it. So. Yeah, we yeah. should see. And in order to receive the funding from Dorna in 2017, that team needs to have uh, that needs to finish. That team needs to finish within the top 20 uh, in 2016 in order to uh, to receive that funding. My understanding is that for 2016, um, the top 22 grid slots, if you like, basically the top 22 riders, Urta have a special, uh, they have their own scoring system which takes into um, uh, account not just the point scoring but also the finishes. And the best 22 riders from, from 2015 will receive the normal, uh, the, the, the same package as this year, which is travel, travel cost and free tyres. Everyone after 22, um, um, uh, all the riders after 22 then have to co- pay for themselves the same way that uh, the Mike VDS has had to this year, which is, ba- which is basically something 1.3, 1.4 million euros, which they have to find. For, for a team like Aspar, that would be just, Terrible, but mm. I think both Nicky and um, and uh, Nicky Hayden and Eugene Laverty this year have done well enough to get themselves inside the top twenty-two. Yeah. Two thousand seventeen, everything changes. Uh, they will be funding twenty-two riders, and those twenty-two riders will be will have. Uh, oh, I, I, 
to be honest, I can't remember if it's 22 or 24, but they they will be upping the um, uh, upping the payment for everyone to uh, something in the region of two million euros per year, um, which should be enough to cover most of their um, a lot of expenses. Teams will still need to find a big chunk of money, but uh, um, finding you know a couple of million in sponsorship is much easier than finding five, six, seven, eight million in sponsorship. Yeah, Carmelo's big plan to spread the wealth throughout the class in action right there yeah yeah exactly i mean that's the uh the that's where the tv money the tv rights money is supposed to be going back into the teams because let's face it it's them that put on the show it's them that actually make all this possible mm-hmm. exactly uh so moving to moto 2 i guess um it was announced last week that sam lowes was going to compete there for another year uh in foster grassini's um calyx outfit or federal oil um backed uh, calyx outfit um then we also have uh Kiefer moving up with uh, miguel Oliveira, danny kent i think moto 2 is going to be quite exciting next year yeah i mean moto 2 is looking like being one of the best classes next year because we have uh, sam lowe's for calyx we have uh johan zarko on um, uh, defending his championship. Uh, who else do we have? Um, we have um, Danny Kemp moving up. We have Miguel Oliveira moving up. Mm-hmm. Um, we have Alex Rins and Alex Marquez who yeah, will no longer be rookies. That's right. And especially Alex Rins. Has, Alex Rins has really impressed me and um, uh, he will continue to, you know, you, you have to believe that he's just going to get better. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly next year. Um, this year he's already been an incredibly, uh, he's already been an incredibly good uh, good rider this year so yeah yep. you've also got Franco Morbidelli coming into the Mark PDS squad a guy who's shown himself capable of uh, standing on the podium this year um, in maybe not the strongest outfit in the, the entire championship um, going straight into Mark VDS team that's won the world championship challenge for other cha- world championships uh, yeah that could be an interesting proposition too yeah absolutely I mean I think what Moto2 both Moto2 and Moto3 do demonstrate is the importance of the team if you're not in a good team uh, it's really much more difficult to uh, to achieve to actually perform um, it's the good teams have the good engineers and it's the good engineers who are extracting the uh, extracting the most maximum performance out of the bike I spoke to one uh, engineer for a top team and he was saying that um, you know they despite the fact that in Moto2 the it's basically the stock ECU uh, HRC ECU kit which is extremely limited in what they can do um, but what they even then there is still lots and lots of uh, there's still lots and lots of little tricks and bits and pieces that they can fiddle around optimizing fuel maps uh, optimizing shifting strategies up to sh- uh, saving fuel wherever they can so they've got a little bit more fuel later on in the races um, uh, but it requires having someone dedicated to sitting down and spending all of their time going through fuel maps going through um, uh, going through data looking at where they can save fuel um, improve power it's uh, interesting but difficult but uh, yeah uh, back to MotoGP because we were talking about Moto2 Tito Rabat of course of course yes uh, he'll be uh, he'll be debuting um, Mark Fidesz's Honda MotoGP machine as we speak um, the Monday after Aragon he was given this as a 
as a special gift for winning the championship in 2014. Um, yes, Tito Rabat will be will be obviously uh, one of two riders in Mark VDS. Yeah, yeah, because it looks like Jack Miller will be uh, the or HL, HRC will be taking their second bike and putting it in the in the Mark VDS squad. Um, it makes a lot of sense. That is basically an H, a, a, a Honda package. And um, HRC would be picking up most of the tab for it, but not all of it. And from what I understand, there was a lot of discussion behind the scenes about who would be paying for uh, the rest of it. The um, uh, who would be uh, and how much Mark VDS would be paying to have Jack Miller. It also solves a nice little legal problem because Jack Miller obviously had signed to race for the Moto Two, but then didn't switch to Aki Iosa. Uh, Moto, th- Moto Three squad for that year, and there was a long drawn out sort of legal battle. I think I believe that's still ongoing, um, but having him come back into the team is going to uh, tidy those loose ends up quite nicely. Yeah, exactly. Which means that there will be only five Hondas in the grid next year: two Repsol, Cal in um, LCR, and the two Mark VDS bikes. Yeah, that's that's right. The the, the old open bikes. Uh, but possibly um, uh, still, we still don't know what's going to happen with Carol Abraham. Yeah. Um, uh, obviously, it looks like he's going to be taking a little while off because his foot is so badly, is still so badly damaged. Yeah. Uh, and again, it's one of those, it's one of those injuries which don't look terrible. When he got off the bike on on Sunday at Aragon, it, it looks just awful. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And I think he made his comeback. Uh, in Brno, yeah, yeah, and in Brno, he he said like he he knew straight away that it wasn't uh, it wasn't probably the right thing to do. Doctors yeah. have said that it could take up to a year for it to be back to normal. Um, yeah, so that's a, that's quite a worrying prognosis if you're a motorcycle racer. Yeah, ex- ex- exactly, and it's not as if uh, well, I mean, he, obviously he comes from a rich family, but he's also an extremely smart guy. He's got a law degree. Um, I think he's I think he's carrying on with a PhD or something. Like that. I think he was carrying on his uh, with with further education. So um, it, it it's if he stops being a motorcycle racer, he's got plenty of ways of um, of making a very tidy living. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But uh, it's but you're not a motorcycle racer anymore, and that's that, that, that's why they do this strange thing of riding around in circles as fast as possible. Um, speaking of lawyers and legal problems, there's the forwards team. Uh, it doesn't look like forward are going to be on the grid next year. Yeah, well, in Moto2 class, I think they are. They, yep. they confirmed that Lorenzo Baldessari will continue with the team in 2016. Um, a wise move, in my view. Baldessari thinks one of the probably the most un, one of the most underrated riders in, in Grand Prix racing, actually. Yeah, uh, a guy that is a fantastic dirt tracker. He was really great at the the uh, Super Prestige yeah. last year. Yeah, uh, he's still only 18, I think. Uh, yeah, made the step up to Moto2 when he was 17 years old. Not many riders do it when they're that young. Um, and yeah, he's. I think he's been a, a regular fixture in the top ten. Yeah, exactly. He's been. He's been one of those names. Oh, look, there's Balasari again. Yeah, and yeah. Not someone who's been sort of regular podium, but uh, uh, the name that you know is just underneath, uh, just underneath the podium. So yeah, yeah definitely, yeah. definitely a strong signing. Yeah, you know that uh, that Rossi isn't uh, going to place any mugs inside that little tight VR forty six no. management unit. You know. No. Um, so yeah, I think I think he's a, a, an astute signing uh, by forward to continue Moto two, but. The, the MotoGP, forwards MotoGP future remains clouded in uncertainty. Well, I, uh, it, it, I mean, well, I spoke to Giovanni Cusari at uh, Misano. He's obviously been released. He's no longer under arrest. He's still under suspicion, I believe, of um, uh, money laundering and uh, tax evasion. But the charges on corru- the corruption charges were to be dropped. 
is what I was told. Um, they were the 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 future of the MotoGP grid slots are basically in the hands of Carmelo Espeleta. Carmelo has to um, uh, has to believe that they won't be bringing the championship into into disrepute. Although it seems that you don't appear to bring the championship into disrepute quite as much in Moto Two as you do in Moto GP uh, by some strange warped logic. But um, um, the uh, Yamaha said immediately after Indianapolis they made a decision um, to stop the uh, not. <coughs> Uh, Indianapolis, sorry, Saxon Ring, as soon as they heard that um, uh, Kazari had been arrested, um, they stopped that whole programme. Um, they, uh, they they made the, basically made the decision not to, not to supply the blacks again for 2016. So, um, yeah, forward are without... Uh, uh, they don't have Yamahas. Kazari said he can get Aprilia's or Ducatis, but there are already going to be eight Ducatis on the grid. Yeah. I can't see there being ten. No, I can't see that yet. So it looks like it's going to be Aprilia's, but as to, to the level of, of, of machinery available to the team, pff, I mean, it's anybody's case. Yeah, they would literally be grid fillers. They would be yeah. back there with uh, with Yoda. And um, uh, I believe Yoda are trying to hang on for next year as well. Yeah. But again, that's only just to make it through to 2017 when, when, uh, when the money is available, when the dawn of money is available. So... Yeah. Yeah, yeah, not it, it, it's barely racing. It's just you know hanging on, hanging on in GP. So to, <laughs> yeah. to have a job. Um, anything else in Moto Two? I think I heard that uh, Simone Corsi will be going to speed up. Well, there, obviously that that's a big question. I mean, Sam Lowe's is leaving a big hole there. Uh, he's, he's signed for Apilia, but uh, being placed with uh, with the Grassini uh, Moto Two team for a year while. Bradle and Bautista continue work on the new uh, on the brand new bike that's due in Sepang. Mm -hmm. uh, Sepang, the Sepang test in February that is not yeah. uh, not not the Sepang MotoGP race later on. Um, so yeah, that's that's the, the, and if you look at what Julian Simono is also a you know he's a world champion, he's a one two five champion, mm -hmm. is doing on that bike. Ant West, Ant West has won races, but uh, they were usually. They were lucky to get into the top 10 and mostly outside of the top 15. Yeah, sure, exactly. Callio jumped on that bike. Uh, a man with lots of experience and didn't really trouble the the, the, the timers at, um, at Aragon. Um, he's taken uh, MY's spot. Um, so, yeah, so the speed up, I've got a massive job to do to, to fill Lowe's seat. Um, Simone Corsi. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, he was doing okay on uh, what was a second level. Uh, um, what was a second level speed up? Uh, sorry, Carlex yes. last year. Yeah. I think he was on the 2013 chassis. Yeah. But the difference between a 2013 chassis and a 2014 chassis last year was marginal. Well, uh, like the 2015 and 14 chassis this year. Yeah, 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 yeah. Refinements rather than anything massive. Yeah. Uh, I think there's going to be a much bigger difference between a, a Carlex and a speed up. So. Yeah. We shall uh, we shall we shall see where that where that leads. Right, on to some questions. Uh, we promised you at the end of last week's podcast that we would answer some questions. Uh, right, okay. We have a question from James Moore. Uh, why do MotoGP not use the safety cars they actually have? Why the f why feel the need to stop and restart as in Moto Two? I can understand if it's if there's a bad accident, but bike and rider were moved without any issues. Um, why do they not have safety cars? Well, I mean, the, the, they use safety cars in BSB, and the reason they use safety cars in BSB is because it's to keep to the TV package. Uh, 
Um, I'm not a big fan of safety cars. I don't really think they add very much to it. Uh, I think if there's a dangerous situation, then it's much more important to get the medical personnel there. Uh, also, uh, one of the reasons is they want everyone off there so that they can get the um, get the ambulances onto the track if necessary. Uh, it, particularly in the case of a in the case of a bad accident. So, yeah, I don't know about you. How do you feel about safety cars? Yeah, I'm not. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say I'm the biggest fan of safety cars. Uh, although, you know, judging by the last couple of occasions where there have been stoppages in races, I think MotoGP could do something to, to speed up uh, the, the current uh, procedure to restart the race. They, they go through another 15 minutes of riders returning to the grid. Pit lane, I think yesterday, for example, when the Moto2 race was stopped, uh, the grid opened half past the hour. Then there was another 15 minutes until the race started. I think we could just do away with the whole grid procedure and you know get the riders out, do a warm-up lap, and then start the race again. Yeah, I mean, obviously, the, 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 the difficulty is that um, you have to give riders who crashed either through their own fault or through no fault of their own a chance to get back to uh, uh, back to the grid and especially with a one bike rule that takes takes up a lot of time but um, yeah I, I, I've spoken to Mike Webb a couple of times on the uh, uh, on the whole grid restart procedure and it's something that they're all constantly evaluating and looking at but the point is they have a responsibility yes exactly I think they did actually test the, the safety car motor GP way back in 2003 it might have been at one of the uh, pre-season yeah. tests at Catalonia um, but riders really were in universal agreement that they didn't enjoy it they didn't know they thought it caused too much confusion uh, they didn't know where they were supposed to be on track whether they had um, taken a position too late they had to relinquish that position and so on and it, in their eyes at that time it caused a lot of confusion and, and there's the question of tires as well these tires uh, especially yeah. grand prix tires are yeah. a, a very special breed they really need to be up to temperature um you can't cruise around at uh, sort of you know half speed. I mean, I've seen Franco Incini drive the safety car, and he's not hanging about. But um, uh, that is not the same speed as Grand Prix speed, and um, the tires are going to cool down. And I think the danger is, especially obviously we're losing the Bridgestones, uh, but especially with the Bridgestones, they would cool down too much and start throwing people off and just make the situation better, uh, worse rather than better. Next question. Um, right, from Gino Perini. Uh, Hi guys, why doesn't MotoGP have a combined minimum weight, i.e. fuel, bike and rider? I, uh, again, I spoke to Mike Webb about this a few times and basically the idea is in Moto3 um, um, you have very light, you have very light bikes, uh, you have limited horsepower and so uh, they, you have a combined uh, rider bike weight to make it a little bit fairer. Moto2, it's a spec engine. Uh, spec, uh, virtually a spec bike, um, you can't do anything to adjust horsepower and so as a consequence um, the only thing, as a consequence the teams are unable to make up for a heavier rider. In MotoGP it's a completely free championship, you can either build a rocket ship like Ducati have done or you can build something with less power. Uh, the Yamaha have always chased uh, usability rather than uh, outright horsepower. Um, uh, but they have the option, you know, if they want to get another 20 horsepower out of that engine, they can get another 20 horsepower out of the engine. It won't make the bike particularly better, but it would certainly compensate for a heavier rider. Uh, 
And as Danny, I mean, I spoke to Mike Leitner when he was Danny Pedrosa's crew chief a few times about um, uh, about rider weights, um, because the accusation was always that you know Danny had this advantage because he was so light he could accelerate a lot more. And um, Mike Leitner would always get furious about that and point out that he might be he weighs twenty kilo less, there's twenty kilos to launch, but he's also got twenty kilos less that um, he can use to try and. Uh, Get traction. He, uh, you know, can't move his weight, his weight around as much. Um, can't put. He hasn't. Doesn't have have as much weight to put on the rear tire to try and gain traction. Doesn't have as much weight that he can use to uh, move around the bike to to alter the behavior, the, the the dynamics of the bike. A motorcycle is a is a, is a dynamic vehicle, uh, and moving weight around. Yeah, it uh, it, it can make a difference. Right. Next uh, next question. Interesting one. With the changes in tyres and electrics, who will adapt well and who will suffer? Predictions of riding styles. This is from Richard Lott. Um, well, considering the current current predicament that Michelin have had while running tests, um, it seems the front tyre still has a lot of work to do. Um, riders that value uh, absolute confidence in the front end, Lorenzo is one of them. So the current way that they are, you would say that he would be one that would be unhappy with the current the current front tire. Um, it seems that their rear tire is 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 strong. Yeah, it's very good. Uh, you can't get Paul Espargaro to shut up about how fantastic that is, even though he's supposed to have been banned from speaking around, uh, about it. But yeah. yeah, the rear is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So you would have to say someone who uses the rear quite a lot uh, to steer the bike. Espargaro being one of those riders, um, that would be someone who would be more suited to these Michelin tires. Um, what I'm most interested in seeing is how uh, uh, is the effect on the on the Honda because the Honda at the moment uh, relies a lot on the front on the front end. The front end is absolutely fantastic. You can get in uh, a long way. I mean, the reason why the Honda is uh, the the Honda is suffering so many front end crashes is not because the the front end is rubbish. It's because the rear end is rubbish and you can't actually use the rear at all. Yeah. So uh, with a more support from the rear, more tire. Um, more grip from the rear uh, they won't have to they, the hondas will not have to load the front as much but then they won't have the same sort of braking advantage in the uh, where with the front end mm -hmm. exactly yeah i think uh Kretzler said on sunday that um that the current honda can gain two three tenths on really strong braking zones only to lose it all on on the exit of the corner yeah exactly you turn that you open the throttle the, the, the engine is so aggressive that it, it either spins or once it grips it starts to wheelie so it's uh, you've just got no drive and i think a much better a much stronger rear and uh, rear tire will certainly help with that uh it's definitely going to change to, to, to shake things up but to be honest it's such a complex um, situation that I think is going to be it, it's hard to predict because you don't know again riders will adapt um, it'll certainly favor riders Tito Rabat because uh, he has absolutely no experience of the, of the Bridgestones has nothing to expect you know it gives him a, a, a chance because he doesn't have anything new to learn yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah Electronics, any thoughts about the new electronic? I've been speaking extensively to people about the electronics, but uh, what about, uh, you have any thoughts? I think you're better placed to talk about this, day, to be honest. <laughs> um, the electronics, the, um, I don't think it's going to make any difference. Um, the best, look at Moto2. Moto2 has got, uh, has got completely spec electronics and the, 
the top teams win because they have the resources to run the simulation to actually put a data guy on uh, or girl because there's a couple of really good um, uh, uh, women working uh, on data in Moto2. Um, they've got the resources to put people on optimizing the electronics, finding the strategies. The uh, Honda won't be able to, Honda and Yamaha won't be able to write their own strategies, which means they won't be able to figure out a special way of uh, of, of, of countering wheelies or, or finding more drive. Um, but the standard ele electronics, it will be all about optimizing it, getting the maximum out of it. And that's just a question of running, sitting down, running running simulations, going through the data. Uh, the teams with the, with the smartest people and the uh, most resources are going to do that best. And the teams with the most money and best people are generally the factories. So I think I really don't think we're going to see a lot of difference with the with the electronics. I think there'll be a lot of complaining about it from people. Uh, again, Lorenzo, because Lorenzo is so incredibly smooth and can really use the edge grip and the, and the smoothness, it could be interesting to see if the uh, if the electronics are not quite as sophisticated, not quite as smooth, then perhaps it could work against him. But uh, yeah, hard to say. Hmm. On to uh, I think three should be all right, Dave. What do you think? Um, thank you very much for listening to this episode, and hopefully we will have some form of podcast from Philip Island, which I think you, I'm not going to, but you're, you are going to, aren't you, Neil? Yes, I will be there, yes, exactly. So I don't know whether we'll be calling it in on the phone, but, yeah, we'll hopefully have something for you after that. And you looking forward to Philip Island? Very much so. Been yeah. before? I've never been to Australia before, no, no. So it's going to be a new experience. Bucket list? Yeah, yeah, going to Philip Island has always been yeah on the bucket list. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, it should be good getting on track side and standing on the other side of turn one. Can't wait. Yeah, I, I do hope you've got your winter woolies. <laughs> I'll be bringing those with me. Thanks very much. See you next time. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to the Paddock Pass podcast. You can find us on Facebook and you can subscribe to us on iTunes. If you enjoy this podcast, please remember to leave a review on iTunes as it helps other listeners find us. Thank you and see you next time. And just out of curiosity, do you want any of the rumours that I've started up? You... <laughs> I started a lot of rumours this year. <laughs> you did, didn't you? Yeah. Quite a lot of them have come to fruition, though, for some reason. God yeah. boy. That rumour about Tony being straight for one. That was... <laughs> yeah, I just did that. It was straight away. Life's fucking you hard. Jensen, please leave that in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Right. Um, ready?